Hello, and welcome to the St. Mark's Episcopal Church podcast. I am the Reverend William Stokes. In the Lions Forum, we are currently walking through the Book of Hebrews in our series, Church, The Way to Draw Near. As a companion to this class, we are using the Reverend Charlie Holt's book, Draw Near, which provides daily devotionals which focus on what Hebrews has to say about worship. In the second class, we hear from the ending of the first major section of Hebrews in which the preacher holds out for us the incredible benefits of an eternal Sabbath. All right, well, as we get settled, um, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Um, If you don't know this about the Book of Common Prayer, there's actually... um, there's a whole section in sort of the back called Prayers and Thanksgivings, and it's got all sorts of wonderful prayers for just all, all areas of life, so I encourage that uh, to your use. Um, one of these prayers is for quiet confidence, so let us pray. O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be our strength. By the might of your Spirit lift us, we pray you, to your presence, where we may be still and know that you are God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so uh, the reason why your tables are smushed together (laughs) this week uh, is because I would like for us to begin by talking to each other, just a little bit, just a few questions. Um, You'll notice on your handout, I've got three opening questions for you to talk about. What does, uh, what does your Sunday look like one hour before church, one hour Uh, What does your Sunday afternoon look like three to four hours after church? And number three, why is the Sabbath important for the people of God? Uh, So I'll give you just a few minutes to, uh, to, to talk about that with your table. Well, let's uh, come back together. So what, what do people say about that one hour before church? What does that look like? (laughs) Rowland, Rowland, getting ready, getting ready. Having coffee, yep, there you go. So, so Shelly's like on it on Sunday morning. She's, she's already prepared. She's, uh, when I was growing up, just to embarrass him a little bit, uh, my mom and my brother and I, we would all be ready for church. We would be like ready to go, 15 minutes, like in the car. My dad was like, oh yeah, it only takes me five minutes to get dressed. 20 minutes later, we're like running late to church, <laughs> frantic. And I wonder if that's what some of your Sundays look like. Well, what about after church? What does is, what is your um, Sunday look like after church? Dark? <laughs> go home, draw the rhymes, and you go to bed. <laughs> I like that. I appreciate that. Restful. Very good. Anyone have anything else that they do on chores? A great day for chores. Go to the grocery store, clean the house. Football fans, anyone? And a video. So, okay. Football, all right. Well, last question. Why do you think that the Sabbath is important for the people of God? Mm-hmm. So define yourself uh, to feel the Holy Spirit and, to, you know, remember who you are. That's great. Yes. Refocusing and, and focusing on what's important. Anyone else? Have yes, Jerry. That's a great answer, Jerry, to thank God for all the wonderful things that have happened over the course of the week. That's a great use of a Sunday. So um, just to dive into that question, well, this is what our class is all about today. Uh, entering fearlessly into Sabbath rest. Um, we're going to be looking uh, a little bit at Hebrews 4. Um, before we go there, though, uh, let's think a little more about the Sabbath. 
when the Bible talks about the Sabbath, uh, you, you guys have already named this, uh, but the, the Bible is speaking about a day for rest, rest specifically. The problem, though, often with us is that we've um, actually, in our modern culture, we've linked the idea of rest with the idea of leisure, which uh, is actually quite a modern concept. Uh, before 1800, really, if, if, unless you were very rich, you didn't have much free time. You spend most of your time out in the field or in the mines or at your trade. Uh, there was very little time in your life that was so-called free. And if you did get your Sabbath, that was for going to church and preparing yourself for the next week. But it's only in the, the industrialized age with the, with the growth of factories and unionization and, and demands for a weekend by workers, which I think is a good thing, uh, but it's with the demand for a weekend that all sorts of people found themselves with a lot more time on their hands. Uh, and you'll notice that it's really in the 1800s forward that a lot of, of, of our forms of popular entertainment ha- developed. Uh, it's in the 1800s when soccer, football, baseball, those sports uh, came to develop. And that's because people had more time on their hands. Uh, they could spend more money, spend more time uh, doing those free sorts of things. Uh, it's also a time when uh, theaters opened up to uh, larger crowds, when, when music halls became bigger to uh, support a larger public, which had more time and more disposable money to spend at the uh, concert, and all sorts of other amusements, from fairs, dances, uh, bars. All of these things developed because people all of a sudden had more free time. And gradually, over the last 200 years, these leisure activities uh, became linked in our popular imagination with the idea of rest, to the point where my generation today, um, I think if you were to ask the average 20-year-old what a restful Sunday would be like, they would tell you, well, I get to sleep in until noon, I get to go to brunch with bottomless mimosas, I get to come home and watch football on the couch, I order a pizza and call it a day. That's the idea of a restful Sunday for a lot of us. But God has so much more in mind for us. He really does. Um, Rest is crucial not only for who we are, but for who he is. Um, He is a God of rest, or rather, as, as the Jews have it, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what they call him. Um, So before turning to Charlie Holt in Hebrews 4, um, there are two other really important Old Testament passages, and I see, here we go, go. anyone else need a hand up? And the first of these is on page one of the Bible. Uh, So after six days, um, all of which, and by what, what do all six days have in common uh, in creation? working, right? They're good. Someone said good. And does anyone know how each day kind of caps off? It was evening, and then it was morning, and the next day. All right, let's hear how the last day ends. This is from Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. From all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And so what happens on the seventh day? Rest, and he, um, he is, uh, what does verse 2 say about his work? He's finished. He's finished with it, right? He's finished with his work, and he is at rest. 
Uh, so what does the Bible mean by this? <laughs> does the Bible mean that God is all of a sudden just taking a nap in the cosmos? No. What the Bible means is that God is enjoying his creation. That's what he does with this seventh day. Uh, before the seventh day, before uh, God gets to work on the earth, uh, Genesis 1 opens by saying that the earth was without form and without void, which means that everything was chaos. And out of this chaos, God organizes time. He puts the sun, the moon, and the stars as a way to mark those times. He organizes the heavens and the sea, and he puts birds in the air and the fish in the sea. And then he pulls out the land from the sea, and he puts snakes, alligators, cows, cats, dogs, and us on the land. So he's done all of this organizing, and now he takes the seventh day to enjoy all of it. Uh, but can anyone note, does anyone notice what's missing about the seventh day? It's not a morning and evening, and Keith is cheating because I talk about this in confirmation <laughs> class. <laughs> There's no end to the seventh day, and this is a really important clue for us about what God wants from his creation. Uh, he's pulled it from chaos, and now he's enjoying it without end. So hold that thought in your mind. Um, but enjoyment, it's the whole point of creation. God has created creation to enjoy it, and he's created us and the rest of everything <laughs> to enjoy him. Let's turn now, though, uh, to Psalm 95. And if you are an older Episcopalian, uh, you might recognize this psalm because uh, it's a morning prayer. We call it the Venite. Uh, or if you happen to read morning prayer by yourself, which I commend. It's good practice. Um, but it begins as a song of praise to the creator God, uh, who is still involved with his creation. It goes something like this. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands have formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Does that sound familiar to anyone? The kids actually just sung that first verse in the, in the anthem. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to start your day, to remember that God has made the heights and the depths of all of creation. But this is the part that our morning prayer leaves out, and it's actually kind of the crucial part about uh, the psalm. Because what the psalmist does in the next bit is to warn the current generation of Israelites from the past generation of Israelites, the Israelites who were wandering around in the wilderness. So he says this, Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on that day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof that they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest." So the current Israelites, they are exhorted to hear the voice of God and to not harden their hearts today. Unlike the past generation of Israelites who did not listen because they did not believe. That's kind of the argument behind this psalm, that belief 
and obedience are linked. Those two ideas are linked. They doubted God again and again and again. At Meribah, at Massa, they, they didn't believe that God would give them water. And what, is, what does God do? He provides it out of the rock, right? Uh, they don't believe that he's going to give them food. And what does he do? He gives them manna and quail from heaven. Even worse than that, though, the people of Israel come up to the actual edge of the promised land, and they still don't believe. They get reports from, from spies who have been sent into the promised land, and the spies tell them the land, it's, it's ripe for the taking, and the people of Israel still don't believe. They doubt. And so therefore, God says, I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This in spite of what they've already seen. <laughs> they've already seen it. It, it, it says, uh, um, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. The people of Israel, they've seen God part the seas. They've seen him rain down plagues on the people of Egypt. They've seen the Egyptian army washed away, and yet they still don't believe in the promises of God. Because the Israelites had hardened hearts to the Lord due to their lack of faith in him, God says to them, fine, if this is the way you're going to be, you're not going to enter my rest. So the whole point of Psalm 95 is to say this, O Israel, don't listen to the voice of your doubts. Listen to the rock of your salvation instead. It's holding up those two things, the rock of your salvation versus that wilderness generation. Listen to the rock of your salvation. Don't be like that generation which doubted God and they were prevented from coming into the promised land. Don't miss out on the Lord's promised rest. Before moving on, I want you to take your pens if you have one and underline Genesis 2-2 and then... Um, that last bit of verse 7 in Psalm 95, today if you hear, my vo- hear his voice, and then underline verse 11, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Sorry, um, Genesis 2-2, this, is, this all makes sense in one moment, um, and then also today if you hear, my, hear his voice in Psalm 95, and then finally verse 11, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So before turning to Hebrews, we've seen in Genesis that God has designed his creation to enjoy it and for it to enjoy him. And then we've seen in Psalm 95 uh, that with a deaf ear and a hardened heart, we can't enter that rest. So let's turn now, finally, uh, to Hebrews. Uh, And if you um, uh, were smart enough to buy this book, um, which if you haven't, I highly recommend it. I would say go buy it in the red line, but we've actually sold out. Uh, But there are copies on Amazon. It's a wonderful book, though. I commend it to you. And we're in week two of the devotionals. Uh, And the devotionals you'll see this week, um, they start a whole new section of Hebrews. That section begins on um, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 14. And the second section, you'll notice as you're going through it, it's focused around the idea of Jesus as our high priest. And next week, Mother Nancy is going to unpack that phrase more fully for us. But before getting there, I wanted to focus with you today on the ending of the first section, which Tom started last week. And if you remember from last week, if you were here, the first section is all focused on the Word of God. Uh, The Hebrews opens by saying, In times past, God spoke to us through prophets, but in these latter days, God has spoken to us through His Son. So the whole idea behind this first section is how God is speaking to us through his word. Uh, And the whole point of this first section is don't ignore him. (laughs) Don't ignore him. 
uh, in your daily life as you're going about all your minutiae, trying to run around after kids, your grandkids, all the tasks at work, don't forget his voice. And worship. <laughs> don't be focusing on your grocery list. Don't be focusing on your lion's form class. Focus on him. Tom uh, had a, a, a self-embarrassing story, which, I th- which was great last week, about um, him forgetting to read the gospel. Uh, my version of that same story um, on Christmas Eve, we have four services, right? And Nancy and I will flip-flop our roles. Uh, and at one service, she'll read the celebrant, and I'll read the gospel. The next service, I'll celebrate, and she'll read the gospel. And it gets a little confusing, especially after the third and fourth service. Uh, and so I was going into one of those services, and <laughs> I thought in my mind uh, that I was the celebrant, but I was actually the deacon. And I was, I was just so into the Christmas hymn, Oh, Come All You Faithful. And there was also this cute girl in the first row, and my mind was just not thinking thinking about where I was supposed to be sitting. So I get up to sit in the celebrant's chair, and I turn around, and there Nancy is, like, swatting me away. <laughs> so, don't be like me. Focus on the word of God when you come to worship. Focus on Jesus. But why is Jesus worth listening to? Because Jesus is rest, and what he has done for us is what God has intended for all of his creation. Uh, So let's dig in. Um, I'm going to read from the first three verses of chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed have entered that rest." Uh, so the preacher in, in Hebrews is doing the exact same thing that the psalmist is doing in the psalm. Uh, he is speaking to the people of God in this generation, a warning from the people of God in a past generation who failed to reach the promised rest. Um, this exhortation, though, um, let's, let us fear, let us fear, uh, that that's not necessarily because of punishment, Let us fear so that we don't miss out on this great opportunity. This is Hebrews' version of FOMO. Have you all heard of FOMO? Fear of missing out. It's it's a new acronym. This is the greatest possible FOMO. Don't miss out on the opportunity of rest that God has given to his people. Um, The promise of rest still stands. And God wants to pull you, oh people who are listening to this letter, out of your own wilderness, out of your own chaos, out of all of your stress and your anxieties and fears, and he wants to bring you to a place where you can enjoy him in his presence fully. This is the promise of rest. Don't miss it. That's what the preacher is saying to us. When the preacher is speaking about rest, by the way, this is, um, if you haven't noticed yet, Hebrews is a sermon. Uh, it's a very unique uh, letter in the whole corpus of uh, the New Testament. Um, we don't know really who wrote it. Uh, there's, there was some thought in the early church that it might have been Paul, but it's, it's very clearly like not Paul. It doesn't say that it's from Paul. Um, so it's probably a sermon. Uh, it might have been a, by Apollos. Apollos was uh, noted in the New Testament as, as a great preacher, so it, it might be by him. But it's structured like a sermon. And it's structured as a way of exhorting people. And so when the preacher is speaking about entering rest, he's not just speaking about a state of mind. He's actually talking about a physical place. Uh, We'll we'll read later that he's speaking about an unshakable kingdom or the city of God. 
those are our clues that the writer of the Hebrews is actually speaking about an actual place where we come to enjoy God. And just like the Israelites wandering around in their desert, we, like them, have not yet reached that physical place. And just like the Israelites, we face a choice, whether to obey and trust God's promises or fall short of his rest. So faith, in the words of one commentator, is conducting one's life on the assumption that this promise of God is certain and that his power to fulfill is assured. And and if you're living like this, if you're living like you actually trust the promises of God, then verse 3 describes you. For we who have believed enter that rest. That's that's actually a a terrible translation. It should read, uh, for we who have believed are entering that rest. And that Greek verb right there is actually showing a continuous process that has not ended yet. We are still in the process here on earth of entering that rest. If your faith is in Jesus, then that process for you has not yet ended. Okay, um, now let's read on. And this is where the text gets a little tricky, but that's why we've read Genesis and Psalm 95, which, this, with the, which the Hebrews is going to use now. Um, So pay attention to how he's using these verses that I've have you underlined. So he says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. So what the preacher is doing by using both Genesis and Psalm 95, is building a tension. And this tension is this. Uh, in Psalm 95, we read about the, gen- the um, wilderness generation, especially in verse 11. We read how they were not faithful, and therefore they could not enter God's rest. And yet, Genesis 2 says that God has finished his work and that God is at rest. And so what the the preacher is holding up to us is this. It's this tension between God is at rest, and yet somehow his people are not yet at this rest. And that's what verse 6 solves. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So the wilderness generation, they might have been prevented from entering God's rest because of their doubt, and yet God will fulfill his purposes. That rest, it's still out there for us to enter into. And that's why God uses David several generations after the wilderness generation to speak to the people of Israel today. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. While one generation might have failed because of disobedience and dead ears or deaf ears to hear God's promises, God right now, today, at this moment, is still holding out to you the promise of his rest to his people. His offer is still good. He still wants us to be with him, and he still wants us to come and to enjoy him today. Right now, in this moment, if you have ears to hear, hear his voice and soften your hearts so that by listening and obeying, rest for you might still be possible. 
And just in case some nitwit would come along and, and say to the preacher, because the preacher is kind of going back and forth in his kind of argumentation, someone might come along and say, well, didn't the people of Israel actually end up going into the promised land? Wasn't that the rest that God has promised? He says in verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, Joshua was the one who led them into the land. God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, that the preacher's pointing to the psalm, he's saying, actually, the promised land isn't the fullness of the rest that God has promised. God has actually promised us something far greater than this one physical piece of land. That's not the rest that God has promised. Um, so we have not yet reached that rest. So then says the preacher, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall short by the same sort of disobedience. Uh, when the preacher talks about Sabbath rest in verse 9, what he's, what he's really, really speaking about is a celebration, a Sabbath celebration. And when you read the early church fathers, when they comment on this verse, they're talking about a joyful and festive uh, a celebration because that's what happens when we endure and praise God. Just, just as God culminates his work in creation by the unending enjoyment of it, ahead of us as his people is both a time and a place where we can enjoy him without end. Essentially, what Hebrews is inviting us to is a party. Have you ever been to a good party? What, what, what makes a good party good? Interaction. Interaction. Friends, right? Food, right? Maybe something to drink? Yeah? Yeah? It's not an awkward party. Have you ever been to an awkward party? Or a boring party? Or a party with some drama going on? That, those are bad parties. Um, a few weeks ago, I preached about... Um, uh, I was invited to do my friend's wedding up at Swanee, and <laughs> it was incredibly stressful, uh, not only because I was doing the service as the priest, but because I was also the best man as the groom's best friend. So I was sort of on groom babysitting duty, but also trying to like attend to all the, like, the little details of the wedding, and I was so stressed out, and I have never been to a better party afterwards, because at that point, all my responsibilities had ended. I could just sit there, and I could not only eat good food and drink good drink, but also be with people I had not seen in a long time, and to enjoy their presence, and they could enjoy my presence. And it's really funny, when you're at a good party, I think one of the signs that you know it's good is because time kind of kind of hangs there, right? It kind of stands still. It's, it's kind of like you're, you're stuck in this eternal spot where you just don't want to leave. That's what God's promised rest to his people is all about. Um, sometimes when, I, when we talk about heaven as Christians, I, I fear that we actually say too much. We like to sort of fill in the blanks and sort of fill out the picture with a better, cooler, material world, right? Um, when I, was, when I, I remember when I was a kid in Sunday school, someone asked the teacher, you know, what is heaven going to be like? And she said, well, I like chocolate, and therefore there's going to be a chocolate fountain. And so I grew up in my, you know, young mind thinking that's what heaven was all about. Um, but, but scripture really um, has three important things. It, it doesn't fill out the complete picture, right? It has three things, though, that it does say about heaven. One, it will be unending, just like that seventh day of creation, it will be unending. 
Uh, two, it will be a rest from our labors. All of the difficulties that we are experiencing in this life will, will melt away. There's a wonderful passage in Revelation about God wiping away the tears of his people. That's rest from our labors in this earth. That's what scripture promises us. And three, we will get to enjoy the other people of God, and we will get to enjoy God himself in a way that is not yet possible for us living on earth. This is a party worth coming to, in other words. And that's precisely why the preacher is warning us not to miss out on it. If if the wilderness generation uh, lost out on this rest because of their disobedience and unbelief, the exact opposite is required of us uh, who have to strive with perseverance to enter. We need open ears and softened hearts. Now, what does all this have to do with church, and what does this have to do with worship? Uh, This book that Charlie Holt has written uh, very helpfully kind of grounds us in our Episcopal worship and how that relates to some of the ideas in Hebrews. Um, As we've talked about at length in the Lions Forum and elsewhere in the church, uh, the American church uh, is in a state of decline, and it's good to just name that. It's good to 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 be honest about it. Uh, this was happening pre-COVID, and it's certainly happening post-COVID. And in light of this uh, decline, we often try to approach this problem from a business model. If you've got something that's not selling well, what do you do? You sell it harder, or you fix the product, right? And that's what you need to do to sell it more. And yet Tom, who just left the room, made a great point uh, last week that church is not about us. <laughs> it's not about us. It's actually about the glory of God. And I think the same concept holds true for the Sabbath. The point of keeping Sabbath has nothing to do with earthly benefits. Uh, Hopefully, if you are keeping Sabbath, you will be getting some family time, right? Uh, If you're keeping Sabbath, you're you're leading a a happier life. Study after study has actually shown that people who go to church or a religious ceremony once a week um, are self-report to be happier people. Uh, It's not just about um, restoring your body with a good nap. Uh, That's not the point of the Sabbath. We keep an earthly Sabbath as a way of preparing ourselves for that eternal Sabbath. And to do that, we take a whole day to enjoy God in our busy, busy week as a way of reminding ourselves what God's rest for us will really be like. And when we view church from this perspective, the equation flips, right? Coming to church on Sundays is actually a rehearsal for coming into heaven at the end of all things. and worship, we put aside all of the cares and worries that have been stressing us out over the week. and worship, hopefully you get that same kind of time-hanging still sensation. And in worship, we get to enjoy the presence of all the people of God, both here on earth and in heaven. And also we get to enjoy God himself in a way that's just not possible throughout the rest of the week. But what about the rest of the week? (laughs) What about my busy, busy life? Uh, Is there any rest for me in the midst of all of that? In fact, I can totally understand sometimes why the Israelites might have doubted God in the wilderness. Uh, when, the, when the cares and anxieties and business add up, it's hard to kind of see that promise of rest standing at the end of all things. Let us strive, says the preacher in verse 11. Let us strive uh, to enter that rest. Uh, uh, this is not a passive journey. This is something active. We have to strive to enter it. 
And what you'll notice in the devotions this week and throughout the rest of the book of the Hebrews is the recurrence of the idea of perseverance and striving forward. As baptized Christians, there's no going back. Backwards is not a direction for us. Only forwards is the way. Uh, And that's why we have to listen to Psalm 95 today. If you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Growth in the Christian life begins with hearts that are softened to God's presence and to God's promises, and it continues when we have ears to hear his word speaking daily into our lives. And that's why, that's why um, the preacher ends this whole first section by saying this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom, before whom we must give accounts. I find that verse incredibly moving. And on one level, the preacher is speaking about the Bible, right? <laughs> He's just been showing us how the Bible is active and living. He's just shown us through Psalm 95 and Genesis 2 that we don't read so much the Bible as the Bible actually reads us. And so to spend time in the Bible each day is to listen to God's word, right? But the preacher is also pointing us to something much deeper, and that is the word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ, uh, through whom God speaks to us. And it's by listening daily in our hearts uh, to that, that, that account of what he has done for us on the cross that we can catch that little bit of rest that is promised to us in its fullness at the end of all things. And so to end, I, I just want to leave you with the words of the Son himself, who in Matthew's Gospel says, Come unto me, all ye who travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Go in peace. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that this teaching was edifying and gave you a better understanding about God's gift of the Sabbath. Join us next week as we look at the next major section of Hebrews and its emphasis on Jesus as our High Priest. God bless you this week.